0: I want to welcome you to Christ Journey Church from wherever you may be joining us today, whether here at our Gables campus, our Kindle campus to the south, we love you, we are praying for you, or somewhere on this great big beautiful planet through Church Online, I greet you today in the spirit of unity and fellowship as we begin a brand new series together called Our Community Through the Book of 1 John. I don't know about you, but I love coffee. I love it. I love to drink coffee. I love the smell of coffee. I love the the, uh, the beauty, the history of coffee. I love coffee and I love my coffee black. Not just because that's how you should drink it but because that's how I actually like it. I like my coffee mean. I like my coffee strong. I like my coffee down to business. 99 out of every 100 cups of coffee that I drink will be black. But that one that one cup every now and then i like to have to pamper myself and for that i like a grande latte non-fat with two pumps of caramel a little bit of whip and some nay-nay. And then a little bit of caramel drizzle over the top of that. Oh, man! It's like a a vacation in your mouth. Like, everything about that just promotes rest and relaxation. And the other day, I was sitting in my favorite Coral Gables cafe. And and on that particular day, I was drinking a black coffee because it was a black coffee kind of day. And I was doing some studying. And I lifted my head from the books. And I noticed for just a few moments all of the people coming in and out of that cafe. I noticed everyone bustling and hurrying along, each each and every one of them on their own mission for the day. And they were coming in to get their $10 specialty drink to go about to conquer their part of the world. And I just watched this for a few minutes. I watched these people come in in and out. And I thought to myself, you know, this really is, in a very real way, this is an analogy for our faith. Watching these people come into this cafe, order up their lattes how they want, is an analogy for our faith and what we believe. I think all of us have seasons of our life when we move in and out of faith in the same way that we move in and out of our favorite cafes. Ordering our specialty drink, right? You order up your spiritual latte. You put two pumps of forgiveness in there. You put uh, a little bit of Holy Spirit energy. You put a a whip of forgiveness, a little whip of forgiveness, and then a little... A little drizzle of love, right? Because what's a spiritual latte without some kind of love in it? And that latte, sa- I, I mean, I would drink that spiritual latte. That, that's, a, that's a good latte. It's got every right and true characteristic of God in it. But what happens when that latte fails to satisfy? What, what happens when you need mercy in your life? What happens when you need rest in your life? What happens when you need to experience God's sovereignty in your life and that isn't whipped up in your spiritual latte? Well, all of a sudden that latte doesn't satisfy and your understanding of God begins to waver and it begins to question. And even that cafe itself, that very cafe itself, may no longer be fulfilling you and serving you up the needs that that you want to be served up. Like, who changed in that moment? Was it God who changed or was it you who changed? What changed? That's that's the consumeristic mentality of our faith that we heard our senior pastor just talk about last week in our vision talk. Who changed? If this has ever described you, and it certainly has for me, there have been moments in my own history where I have experienced this, then you are in good company with the very community to whom the Apostle John wrote his first letter more than 1,900 years years ago asking the very same questions that many of us are still asking today of our faith and of our community what makes our community distinct from other religions and other philosophies what is the foundation for what we believe what what are the fibers that connect our community together what is the mission of our community these are the questions that the Apostle John answers in this letter, and these are the questions that we will seek to answer through this series, our community. And though the author of 1 John does not readily identify himself in the letter, most scholars unanimously agree that the same Apostle who wrote the Gospel of John also wrote the Letters 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which we call the Johannine letters, as well as the book of Revelation. In fact, much of John's first letter in particular builds upon the major themes from his gospel. Themes such as, who am I? What is my purpose? Where do I come from? Is there a God? Who is Jesus? How do I relate to other human beings? What is good and evil, right and wrong? These are human questions that have arisen across every generation from every geographical region on our planet since the very beginning of human thought. John wrote his letter around 100 A.D. to the church located at Ephesus. He was probably in his early 80s. And he wrote this letter about 65 years after the resurrection and after the beginnings of the early church movement. Now, Ephesus was a very similar city to our city, Miami. It was a wealthy port city. It was prominent in politics. There was a plurality of religions that existed within that city. And during the time in which John wrote his first letter, the church faced a few key issues in particular that I think many of us in— Churches today still face. And so when I list off these issues, ask yourself this question Do these issues resonate with my faith history? Do they resonate with anyone that that I know? Do they resonate with our city, with our country? Do they resonate with your part of the world? Listen to these questions. Some of these issues, such as some had abandoned their faith altogether, that was one of the major issues facing the early church. In the first going into the second century, some had found the idea of God entering into a human form impossible to believe. Some claimed to believe in God and Jesus as the Son of God, but their behaviors contradicted the teachings of Jesus. Does that sound familiar? Some believers considered themselves superior to other believers, so those people abandoned the church and the fellowship altogether in order to keep themselves pure from those other people that maybe weren't as holy or maybe didn't know as much about their faith. But some of those people truly did believe, and they longed to see the kingdom of God come in our world as it is in heaven. Do any of those issues sound familiar to you? Of course they do. Of course they sound familiar. Because everybody falls into one of those five categories. Everyone does. You know, this past April 2018, the Pew Research Center released their findings on a major study done of the ever-shifting trends in spirituality happening within American culture. Their research concluded this. 80% of Americans say, yes, I believe in God or a higher power. 80% of Americans believe in God or a higher power. And of the 20% who said, no, I don't believe in God, still 9% of them said, but I do believe in a higher power. Thus, 89% of people, as of April 2018, 89% of people who live in this country believe in a God or a higher power. I mean, those are astonishing statistics, I think. Astonishing. A lot of people believe in God or a higher power. Yet, the real question is, what these 89% believe about God? <laughs> That's the real question. It's one thing to believe in God, but what do you actually believe about God? Is God angry? Is, is your perception of God Distant? from you? Does God just exist out in the heavenly somewhere? Is your perception of God as being up close and for you and loving? Is your perception of God uh, just sort of standing aloof from the issues that you're facing in your world or the issues that we're facing in our world together? Or does God even exist in your perception and your worldview? What matters equally to someone who believes in God is what they believe about God what they believe about God. And the entire first letter of John written to the church in Ephesus attempts to help that church understand and the church corporately understand what to believe about God. John's letter is about what we believe. John's letter truly is the story of us. It's the story of us. They are the story of of our community. And God is still speaking to churches everywhere through these letters. So let's hear what God wants to say to us beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one is life itself, was revealed to us, and we have seen him. So once again, John is restating, we've seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who has eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so you may have fellowship with us. Once again, John's restating, we've experienced this, we have seen this, we have heard this, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Now, for those of you familiar with John's gospel, you will hear echoes of his gospel in the opening sentences of his first letter. But you will also hear some differences as well. John's first letter is a complement to his gospel. It's not a copy of his gospel. And different from the gospel, his letters offer real, practical, sound advice for the church and what to believe. About God. In his introduction, he only addresses two themes that he then unpacks for the rest of his letter the reality of the Incarnation and its importance for fellowship. The reality of the Incarnation and its importance for fellowship. Those are the two major themes that John unpacks in his first letter. In the opening of his gospel, John defined the incarnation by saying, The Word became human and made his home among us. That's the definition of the incarnation. And doesn't it sound so personal? I love how John wrote this in his gospel. The, God became human and made his home among us. God didn't just become human and lecture us, God didn't just become human and whack his finger at us or even just go to the cross. God became human and he made his home among us. He dwelled among us. Doesn't this feel so personal? The incarnation is absolutely necessary to the Christian faith. It is the foundation upon which every other teaching in the New Testament builds. God incarnated human life. God assumed flesh and bone and dwelt among us in our world in a real time and in a real place. Jesus' full humanity and Jesus' full divinity are both absolutely necessary for our salvation, which we'll talk about next week in chapter 2. Yet, quite honestly, I think this is one of the most difficult teachings for our finite human minds to grasp. It was then for John's church in Ephesus, and it, it still is now in our church and churches everywhere. This is a very difficult concept for our finite minds to, to grasp. I mean, if, if you find this, if this is a mind boggle for you, then you're in great company. It's a mind boggle for me, too. One of the central issues that many believers faced then, and I think many believers still face today, is leaning more toward the divine side, of Jesus' life rather than keeping both his humanity and his divinity together. In the introduction to his letter, John overly emphasized the importance of his experience with Jesus. He's trying to emphasize his humanity in the midst of this. In fact, in the original language, John broke all of the standard Greek grammar rules that he typically practiced in all of his letters in order to emphasize, overemphasize the humanity of Jesus and what he experienced with Jesus. Literally saying this in the opening uh, opening passages of his letter. What was from the beginning... This is the literal Greek into English. What was from the beginning. What we have heard. What we have seen with our eyes. What we beheld and our hands touched concerning the word of life. Meaning the very human being who God assumed in the flesh lived. And he breathed. And he walked our world in order that his life may give us life. The incarnate God led a real ministry on earth, offered himself as a real sacrifice on a real cross, and then three actual days later, he miraculously showed up and offered his real life into a resurrection and eternal life. I mean, John can't overstate how real God became in Jesus In fact, John then in verse 2 parenthetically states, and the life appeared. And so he goes on restating this again. And we have seen and testify and we announce to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was revealed to us. So God didn't keep this a secret or hide this away from us. He revealed this to us. Verse 3, what we have seen and what we have heard. John restates this all over again. In a few short passages, John offered nine statements in total, each testifying to the real-life presence of Jesus Christ in order to qualify just one single verb. Nine words, nine qualifiers, in order to emphasize one single verb in the opening three verses in the Greek, which is one long, unbroken sentence, and that single verb is this. We proclaim this to you. We proclaim to you. John wanted you to feel the weight of this proclamation rooted in the very experience of God. What John wanted to proclaim was what he had experienced, and what John had experienced was a tangible, sensory observation of the resurrected Messiah. Without a true resurrection, all of this matters because without a true resurrection, there would be no victory over death and subsequently no power in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to satisfy the penalty of our sin. During John's day, many people thought the resurrection was a fantasy. They didn't believe it. They just thought this was spirit Jesus floating around, or that people were hypnotized by what they had experienced. And I think many people still probably think the same thing. It's, it's, it's crazy. But it's real. And John is saying, listen, I, I know this sounds crazy, but it's real. I touched, I touched the living God. I heard The living God. I I saw the living God both alive and he died and then alive again. John is proclaiming that not only did God enter into our world, but John saw these things. He, it, this, this isn't second-hand information. This is coming directly from the primary source itself. According to John, God's gift of salvation from our sin into eternal life wasn't the result of some mystical experience given to some man alone in the woods somewhere. Neither was it dropped down to us from the sky, and nor does it apply only to one part of your life. You know, one of the reasons why John overly emphasizes the Incarnation all throughout his letter was to create a counter-argument to the teachings of Greek philosophy that instructed people to only value the Spirit. Whereas John is saying, no, no, no. God values your whole body. The Greek philosopher Plato taught that God must stay distance from creation in order to preserve his holiness. So God didn't care what you did with your body. That didn't matter, just so long as your spirit was right. Whatever that means, right? I mean, how do you know that just your spirit is right, but you could do whatever you want with your body? Well, you can imagine how Greek society received that teaching. You can imagine how they began working out this philosophy. People used their bodies for whatever pleasure and purpose they, they wanted to use them. Indulgence became a signifier of wealth. Pleasure became a worthy pursuit, even among believers in the early church during that time. But John's insistence upon the incarnation completely countered Platonic philosophy and argued instead for a new way, a new understanding. How could God not care about what human beings do with their bodies when God entered into our world in a human body and sacrificed himself upon a very real cross, so that we may receive eternal life. That's the crux of John's entire argument for the incarnation. God's salvation means more than just life after death. God's salvation means new life today, as God's Spirit renews your mind now and cleanses us from all of Our unrighteousness beginning here and now. Yes, our bodies are finite and they're broken and they're dying a little bit every day. Yes, we're not fully restored until we stand in glory with our creator. That's all true. But our transformation into Christ's likeness begins not when we die and become a disembodied spirit, but it actually begins here and now. It begins here and now together in your real body. Therefore, God cares about how you use your bodies, your thoughts, your your thoughts here and now, your actions, your words, all bear witness to Christ at work in you here and now. The Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the church in Rome about 30 years before John wrote his first letter to the church in Ephesus saying this, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God, because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship Him with our entire Bodies. Your bodies matter for how you work, for how you think, and ultimately for how you love. Your spirit is not disembodied from your life floating out here somewhere. All of you is working together. Your mind for rationality and reason. Your soul for feelings and emotions. Your body for strength and work. Your spirit for life and consciousness, all working together, your mind, soul, body, and spirit united together as one for your work, for your worship, and for your love. And God cares about how you use every facet of your body to do those things together. That's why the incarnation matters personally, but also it matters communally. Because John gives us the right understanding of the Incarnation for this purpose. He says, so that, I'm telling you these things, I, I, I'm, I'm proclaiming this to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. This is the purpose of John's writing. It's both the purpose of the Incarnation and its purpose on fellowship. That's the whole, that's the whole meat and potatoes of this letter. The Greek word translated fellowship is koinonia which means to share something in common. Christian community is not merely an association of people who only share sympathies for a cause. That's, that's not who we are. That's not the only reason why we gather together. Christian community is not merely an association of people who only share the same political views. That's not who we are. That's not why we gather together. In fact, we have a range of political views just right here at this campus and the Kendall campus and I'm sure Church Online. Christian community is the common living of people who have a shared experience with Jesus Christ. They talk about this experience. They urge each other to grow more deeply into this experience. And they strive to build a shared life together from this experience, founded upon our transformation in Jesus. Christian community is unlike any other kind of shared life experience in the world. Why? because Christian community is also fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual community as much as it is physical. This adds one more dimension to the meaning of koinonia. Christian community is living and experiencing our lives together as we fellowship with God the Father. And God the Son. Together, united in his Holy Spirit. Christian community is triangular. My life in fellowship with Christ, your life in fellowship with Christ, and my life in fellowship with yours. In John's Gospel, he recorded Jesus' final prayer before his betrayal saying this, in John's Gospel, Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that They will be united, just as we are. Unity among this community is absolutely essential. Our fellowship with the Father and the Son together in the Holy Spirit is the substance. These are the fibers that bind us together, like the ligaments that hold the bones together, which allows us to fully share our joy with one another and the world. Friends, this is profound. This, stu- this stuff changed my life. This changed my life growing up in the church, into my teenage years and, and into my 20s. There is no other community like this in the world, and it is transformational. That's why a total stranger, who may not even believe anything that, that we're talking about necessarily, can step into any healthy and faithful church, including our own church, and many people do. They step into our church, and they experience an immediate connectedness that they can't explain or an immediate connectedness that they've never experienced before. And every time people tell me about that, sense of connectedness, I think I I totally get it because I experience it too. Because this community is the only type of community in the world where someone can experience that. The reason That we can experience that is because of the incarnation the entire framework of our community is built upon a right understanding and belief in the incarnation the word became human and made his home among us this is the bedrock of our community it is the foundation of our family home wherever the incarnation is absent then this community is an impossibility It's impossible to facilitate this kind of experience and this kind of community any other way without the Incarnation. John continues saying in the following passage, this is the message we have heard from that Incarnation, from Jesus, and now we declare it to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in Him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, if our lives are encompassed in the light, which we'll talk more about next week, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all of our sin. If we claim we have no sin, on the other hand, which culturally speaking then, and culturally speaking now, is an acceptable behavior. I mean, People aren't just readily accepting their sin. They weren't doing it in the first century. It's still hard to do in the 21st century. And so, you know, John is saying, if we deny this, if we deny our sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from our wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place. In our hearts. When we place our trust in Jesus, not only does a unique community and a unique fellowship begin to arise among us, but equally as astonishing, God also begins to cleanse us from the inside out and igniting our lives with the very same lights and the very same resurrection power that God the Father ignited His Son to give us eternal life. That same power and that same life lives in you for those who believe. Whenever we walk in God's light together, whenever we love one another, whenever we confess our sins to God, whenever we do the work of Jesus beside each other, whenever we have fellowship with one another and we become bonded together in unity, whenever those things take place within this fellowship, then we will become an unstoppable force of good in the world. Absolutely then the sum of the church will not only become greater than its parts, greater than the people who who make up the church, but the sum of the church will then become the real, tangible presence of Jesus in the city. And only then will our mission become Christ's mission. And as the community of the redeemed, as ones who've been forgiven, as ones who... Are being healed, as ones who are becoming restored, we then become the image bearers of God's light. You know, on a dark night, the human eye can perceive the flicker of a candle flame 1.6 miles away. That's pretty cool. Now imagine if that candle flame was Jesus. And these sticks were our lives. As we come to know Jesus and put our lives in contact with his flame and then bring our lives in contact with one another, we can literally, together in this fellowship, we can light up the night together. We can light up our city together. We can do things that we never even dreamed or imagined we could do. We could become a people who could help other people find their refuge. We could become a people who could help other people share God's peace in our city. We could be a people who could help other people find their life immersed in the light, immersed in God's salvation, and then help them come to develop their own confidence in their salvation so that they can then in turn put their lives in contact with one another. That's what happens when, when, this, fellowship, when this fellowship gathers. It's like even in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, the people perceived the earliest gathering of the church, the Pentecost gathering of the church, they perceived flames on their heads (laughs) because their lives were so lit up with God's salvation and the Holy Spirit was so indwelling in them that they couldn't contain it. Imagine, just imagine with me for a moment what, what might happen in our community with the right understanding of the Incarnation, with the right understanding of of God's work among us and the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, giving us the confident hope of our salvation, not only what might happen here when we gather together, but what what might happen in the city as we use our whole bodies to proclaim this good news. Just imagine with me what might happen. Father, we pray. We pray that your Holy Spirit set us on fire. (laughs) God, we pray that your Holy Spirit fills us with with your salvation, with the goodness of your grace, with the power of your mercy, with the confident hope of your salvation, with courage to live and to step into what you have already given to us. God, Lord, I, I pray that you knit our hearts together in such a way that you help us see our differences as connection points. And you help us see the mission as what drives us. God, I pray that you continue doing a work in us so that we can see this community is being so unique and so, so powerful in the world that when we come together, we truly, we will become an unstoppable force for good so long as we remain united together, so long as we have the right vision in front of us, and so long as we have your spirit dwelling and healing us and forgiving us and powering us from the inside out. So Lord, continue to do this work in this church, we ask. And for those of you today who are realizing for the first time what God has done for you, and you're, you're thinking, I, I, I want this. I, I want the Holy Spirit to be dwelling in me. I, I want to be part of this community. I want to participate in this community, and I want to go out, and I want, to, I want to have my life be radiating and helping other people find their hope and their place of refuge. If you want to make that decision for the first time today, then would you join me in this prayer God, I, I've realized that that for far too long I've been going my own way. That I've been trying to ignite my own life and I just keep coming up short. But God, I I've learned today that, that truly you are the one who can ignite me. It's what you have done for us. It's the gift that you have given to us through your Son Jesus Christ, the gift of your salvation. And so, Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask I ask that you give me the strength to turn from my own way and to turn to your way. And today, I am taking that first step in your name. If you prayed that prayer with me, then would you just raise your hand and let me bless you. You can, at the Kindle campus, there's a pastor waiting for you at Church Online. There's an orange banner underneath this screen that you can click on, and someone will be there to help you and walk through the next steps with you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. I thank you for every hand raised. I thank you for every decision made. And so, Lord, I pray that you now knit us together into a transformational community who can then go out and can share this good news with the world in your name. Amen.